We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 597 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, June 19th, 2023. It is Juneteenth, 2023. A happy Juneteenth to those who celebrate. You know, we over the last six days have had four notable days to uh, varying degrees. But last Wednesday was Flag Day. Uh, This past Saturday was National Mascot Day. Did you know that? Uh, Sunday was Father's Day, and uh, this Monday here is Juneteenth. Quite a run of notable days. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast. The Wizards are trading Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, That, yes, is notable. Uh, The news broke on Sunday afternoon via multiple reports. Uh, The trade is not official. The specifics of the trade haven't even been nailed down, but Beal is being traded to the Suns. Less than 12 months after the Wizards re-signed Beal to a five-year, $251 million Supermax contract with the only no-trade clause in a current NBA contract, the Wizards are trading Bradley Beal and for pennies on the dollar. The second that that contract was signed, it became one of the worst contracts in the NBA. And less than a year later, the Wizards want out. What a disaster. What a debacle. Uh, I am encouraged in that the Wizards finally are facing the truth about what they are. I am encouraged in that the Wizards' new front office seems to be empowered to do as it wants to do, but (laughs) there is no overstating how horribly the Wizards have handled the Beal situation from an asset management standpoint. Coming up next segment, in-depth reaction to, analysis of, and ranting on the Wizards trading Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I then will talk commanders. You know, as Bradley Beal is leaving Washington, D.C., could slash should Kareem Hunt be coming to D.C. Should the commander sign unrestricted free agent running back Kareem Hunt? According to a report, they are interested. I have some thoughts on that. 
And I'll discuss what were some not-so-good weekends for the Nationals and Orioles. Uh, The Nats got swept by the Miami Marlins in a three-game series at Nationals Park, falling to a humiliating 4-21 against the Marlins in regular season games since the start of the 2022 season. The O's, uh, they lost two or three games at the Chicago Cubs, despite a big series for left fielder Austin Hayes, who is having a terrific season. Uh, But lots to get into with what happened with the Nats and the O's over the weekend. Before we get to some feedback, a salute to the Capitals, American Hockey League affiliate, the Hershey Bears. They are a win away from winning the AHL's version of the Stanley Cup, the Calder Cup. Uh, The Bears in the best of seven Calder Cup finals against the Coachella Valley Firebirds. I can't stand those Coachella Valley Firebirds uh, have gone from down 0-2 to now up 3-2. A 1-0 overtime win over the Firebirds on Saturday night. Yeah, the Bears in this series were down 0-2, now are up 3-2. Three consecutive victories, Game 6, Monday night at 10. Uh, Also, the run for the University of Virginia baseball team in the College World Series is over. The uh, Cavaliers lost two one-run games in Omaha, Nebraska, have been eliminated from the uh, CWS, a 6-5 loss to Florida on Friday night, then a 4-3 loss to TCU on Sunday afternoon. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jack L on something that I brought up on last Thursday's show, episode 595. Why didn't the greatest owner in Washington football history, Jack Ken Cook, aka the Squire, uh, not just leave the Redskins to his son, John Ken Cook. What ended up happening was an ultra complicated process that ultimately resulted in a guy named Daniel M. Snyder buying the team. Uh, Jack Ken Cook died in April 1997. Dan Snyder officially bought the team in May 1999. Writes Jack L. During the transition slash sale of the team after the Squires passing, of course, the question came up why the team was not left to his son, John. And something that came up was that when John Kent Cook and his first wife divorced in 1979, Jack had to pay her a court-ordered $42 million, which was a then record for a court-ordered divorce award. And during the divorce proceedings, John Kent Cook took his mother's side. And because of that, Jack remained bitter against John until the bitter end. Thank you for your very informative and entertaining podcast. I have yet to miss any. Glad you are back to being a 100. Thank you for the email, Jack. I appreciate that. Uh, And then Jack, at the bottom of his email, includes this nugget from Wikipedia. Take a listen to this. Quote, Cook's first marriage, his longest, lasted 45 years. He and Barbara Jean Carnegie married in 1934, divorcing in 1979. In the legal action, Carnegie was awarded what was then the largest divorce settlement in history, $42 million. The presiding judge during the bench trial was Joseph Wapner, who later became famous as the judge on television's The People's Court, End quote. So how about that? Judge Wapner was the judge for the first divorce trial of Jack Ken Cook. The People's Court, a staple 
of 1980s television. Great theme song, too. Why is it that so many theme songs for 1980s television shows were so good? I mean, you think about it. The People's Court. Uh, I always come back to Night Court, which to me had an outstanding theme. Uh, Knight Rider had a great theme. Miami Vice, all-time classic theme. Duke's a Hazard, tremendous theme. The A-Team, one of my favorite themes. Growing Pains, an ultra feel-good theme. I mean, I could go on and on with the great theme songs from 1980s television shows. I feel like starting in the 90s and through today, the quality of the uh, television show theme song has plummeted. You know, a few years ago, when Harry Anderson, the main star of Night Court, died, I on radio did a whole thing on the best theme songs in TV history. Because again, the Night Court theme was so good. And uh, I got like so much feedback uh, to that segment. Uh, Speaking of TV shows, email from Kim on a new Netflix show that's coming out, writes Kim. Al, did you hear about a show called Quarterback? It's going to be a short series on Netflix. will come out in July. Our boy Kirk is going to be on there, as well as Eric Bieniemy's guy, Patrick Mahomes, plus Marcus Mariota. Anyway, I'm really excited to watch the show. Talks about the position, the toll that playing quarterback takes on your body, the joys of being a quarterback, etc. Thank you for the email, Kim. Yeah, quarterback and eight-part series on Netflix. Uh, Comes out on July 12th, and the series is about the 2022 seasons of three quarterbacks. Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, uh, Marcus Mariota, who last season played for the Atlanta Falcons. He and March signed with the Philadelphia Eagles as an unrestricted free agent. And yes, (laughs) Minnesota Vikings quarterback and former Skins quarterback Kirk Cousins. I'm a little bit more process-oriented. (laughs) Yes, our guy, our homie, Mr. Process, oh, Kirky. By the way, one of the best quarterbacks of our lifetimes, Peyton Manning. Uh, He is an executive producer for Quarterback. Uh, According to Netflix, quote, Quarterback is a first-of-its-kind partnership between the NFL and Netflix, offering unprecedented access to three of the league's top players. The eight-episode series follows quarterbacks who, for the first time ever, are mic'd up for every single game from the beginning of the 2022 season to its conclusion. And it's not just life on the field either. Quarterback takes fans from inside the huddle to inside players' homes, showing how they navigate the pressures of their professional and personal lives, end quote. Uh, Now, calling Marcus Mariota one of the league's top players is a bit generous. Uh, But yeah, I think that this could be a lot of fun to watch. I'm a big fan of behind-the-scenes access, so I think that this series could be really good. You know, not everything that Netflix does is good, but Netflix does enough good to where I could see it doing a good job with quarterback. I mean, Ozark, to me, was great, and that was a Netflix series. So if you're capable of churning out something as good as Ozark, uh, you have my attention. Marty Bird, what a boss. All-time character, Marty Bird. Uh, Well, the Bird family in Ozark did uh, quite the number (laughs) on the state of Missouri. If you watch the show, you know of what I speak. Hopefully all is well in your life. But if you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, as the Bird family in Ozark harmed the state of Missouri, uh, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case 
contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that is always ready to fight for you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace provides passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. How about this? Two verdicts against Merrill Dow totaling $132 million. Yes, Paulson and Nace has taken on Big Pharma and won. Uh, Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. Uh, just last July, Bradley versus the United States of America. Polson and Nace won a case for which the United States government was paying nearly $1.8 million. So this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, we knew that the Wizards in a trade of Bradley Beal were likely to get back pennies on the dollar. Uh, Now we know exactly how few pennies the Wizards are getting back. You could write a book about the horrendous asset management that has been demonstrated by the Wizards in their handling of Bradley Beal. A, they waited too long to trade him. B, they're trading him off re-signing him to an oh-so-onerous five-year, $251 million Supermax contract last July, a massive overpay for a non-elite player. C, they, in this oh-so-onerous Supermax contract, included the only no-trade clause in a current NBA contract in One of the dumbest things that the Wizards have ever done, and that's saying something, because the Wizards have done a lot of dumb things, and D, oh by the way, the Wizards are trading Beal off him having missed a lot of time over the last two seasons. Beal, over the last two regular seasons, has played in just 90 of a possible 164 regular season games. So you are trading him at a low value point. And so... Our Wizards are trading Bradley Beal for pennies on the dollar. The owner of the Wizards, monumental sports and entertainment founder and CEO, Ted Leonsis, should be embarrassed by this. The Wizards' former president and general manager, Tommy Shepard, should be embarrassed by this. This is an embarrassment, what has happened here. The damn Washington Wizards! 
<laughs> that is correct. Thank you, Stephen A. Smith. I am not faulting the Wizards' new front office regime for the return in this Bradley Beal trade. I am not faulting monumental basketball president Michael Winger. I am not faulting Wizards general manager Will Dawkins. I am not faulting Wizards senior vice president of player personnel Travis Schlenk. I can't stand how the Wizards ultimately have handled the Bradley Beal situation, but specific to Winger, Dawkins, and Schlenk. These guys inherited this mess. These guys are doing the best that they can with this mess. Do not blame these guys for this uh, pennies on the dollar return for Bradley Beal. And keep in mind that there may well be more to this trade. This could end up being a three-team trade. This could end up being a multi-step process in which the Wizards this offseason trade some of what they're getting back from the Phoenix Suns. For now, per reports, this is the trade. The Wizards are sending Bradley Beal to the Suns for a package that is expected to include Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, multiple second-round picks, and a pick swap or pick swaps, depending on what you go by. Now, regarding the Wizards getting back Chris Paul, a tweet from NBA insider Chris Haynes of TNT and Bleacher Report on Sunday evening, quote, the Washington Wizards are likely to reroute Chris Paul in a trade, and the Los Angeles Clippers are expected to pursue a reunion with the future Hall of Famer. End quote. Also, tweet from Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic on Sunday evening. Quote, a league source has told The Athletic that Wizards officials would like to have Chris Paul on their team, but if Paul decides in the next few days he would like to be on a contender, the Wizards would work with the Suns to find a third team in the trade to send CP3 to a contender. End quote. Personally, I would be surprised, very surprised, if uh, CP3 ever actually played a game for the Wizards. But we don't have all of the specifics on this Bradley Beal trade, and there certainly could be a lot more coming if the Wizards trade Chris Paul. But the bottom line is, yeah, the Wizards are not getting much back for Bradley Beal. They have taken a player who, in their mind, was worthy of a five-year, $251 million Supermax contract with the only no-trade clause in a current NBA contract and have so poorly managed this situation that they now are trading him for second-round picks, a pick swap or pick swaps, Chris Paul and Landry Shamit. Shamit is right. Uh, God, Shemit, <laughs> is what every Wizards fan is saying about this situation. What the Wizards most need are first-round picks. That the Wizards do not seem to be getting any additional first-round picks via this trading away of Bradley Beal is brutal. But again, this is the situation. I'm not killing Michael Winger and his crew for this, okay? These guys inherited this mess. Uh, I do wonder if the Wizards now, in shedding the Bradley Beal Supermax contract, might take on some other bad contracts in exchange for first-round picks. Might the Wizards tank that we're about to see uh, take on the form of a team with young players, but also veteran players with bad contracts, with the veteran players with bad contracts having brought back first-round picks? Uh, We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I also want to highlight this, and I just used the word tank. The rebuild is on, and more likely than not, was never in doubt. 
think about how quickly all of this escalated. So Michael Winger at his and Will Dawkins' introductory press conference on June 8th, not that long ago, said that a rebuild for the Wizards was a possibility, but had not yet been decided on. And I think a lot of us uh, heard that and said, uh, okay, you know, uh, you haven't figured out yet what you want to truly do with the direction of this team. So the introductory presser for Winger and Dawkins was on June 8th. Less than a week later, June 14th, we had reports from the top two NBA insiders, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and Sham Sharania of The Athletic and Stadium, about the Wizards possibly trading Bradley Beal. Uh, Woj on June 14th reported that Michael Winger and Bradley Beal's agent, Mark Bartlestein, were, quote, staying in close contact to discuss scenarios presented to the franchise, sources told ESPN, end quote. Woj added that, quote, if Winger is inclined to fundamentally reshape the roster of a franchise that has missed the playoffs in four of the past five seasons, teams won't only have to talk with Winger and Wizards general manager Will Dawkins on trade ideas, they'll have to include Bartlestein in a three-way conversation, end quote. Uh, Sham Sharania and Josh Robbins on June 14th reported that the Wizards and Bradley Beal would, quote, work together to find a trade for the three-time All-Star if the team elects to reset the roster in the near future, end quote. Okay, uh, then just two days later, this past Friday afternoon, Chris Haynes reported that the Wizards had granted Bradley Beal and his representatives permission to speak with teams to which Beal was interested in being traded. Then Shams on Saturday afternoon tweeted that the Wizards were, quote, in serious talks with two finalists, Miami and Phoenix, on a Bradley Beal trade. The Suns have emerged as a serious threat for Beal, who holds a no-trade clause, end quote. And then on Sunday afternoon, the news broke of the Wizards and the Suns having agreed on the trade. This all came together rather quickly. And so to me, it's very clear that Michael Winger from the get-go had this as part of his plan. Trade away Beal to ignite a rebuild. Now, I mentioned Bradley Beal's agent, Mark Bartlestein. Know this, the chief executive officer of the Suns is Josh Bartlestein, Mark's son. So let's think about this. Beal's agent, Mark Bartlestein, was a big part of these trade talks, given that Beal had this uh, oh-so-wonderful no-trade clause. I mean, again, go back to the reporting of Adrian Wojnarowski on June 14th, saying that Mark Bartlestein would be very much involved in trade talks regarding Bradley Beal. So Mark Bartlestein is involved in these trade talks, and ultimately, Beal is being dealt to the Suns, who have Mark's son, Josh Bartlestein, as CEO. Does that not seem like a conflict of interest? <laughs> I mean, does that not seem a little sketchy? Bradley Beal, via this no-trade clause, had the power, had the hammer. Does it not seem at least a little iffy that he has ended up going to the Suns And does that not perhaps help to explain the Wizards getting back so little in this trade? If you're Mark Bartlestein and you're Beal's agent and your son, Josh Bartlestein, is the CEO of the Suns, 
Can't you orchestrate it so that Beal goes to the Suns? Because again, Beal can dictate to which team he goes because of the no trade clause. You know, all of this does not seem cool. And all of this does not seem to have worked in any way to the favor of the Wizards. But you know, I go back to who are the dummies who gave Beal the no trade clause? The Wizards. So ultimately, they have themselves to blame for this situation. But the Bartlestein thing is something that's impossible to ignore. Beal's agent is Mark Bartlestein, the father of the CEO of the team to which Bradley Beal is being traded for pennies on the dollar. Not a great look if you're the NBA. Uh, It's not Bradley Beal's fault that the Wizards overpaid him. It's not Bradley Beal's fault that the Wizards gave him this no trade clause. It's not Bradley Beal's fault that the Wizards drafting during his time with the team was so bad. Bradley Beal's a good player, and I think he's a good dude. I don't really look at Bradley Beal and say to myself, boy, that's a bad guy right there. I've never really gotten that sense from Bradley Beal. The trouble with Bradley Beal is that he's not an elite player, and yet he has been paid like an elite player. Uh, He's an inconsistent defender. He is a declining three-point shooter in a league in which three-point shooting has never mattered more. And he hasn't led the Wizards to anything. He just hasn't. He with the Suns will be part of a big three with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. That is what Bradley Beal is, a part of a big three, not the number one guy in a big three. You know, this is going to be a big news week for the Wizards. We have the Bradley Beal trade. We have the Kyle Kuzma and Chris Damps Porzingis player option decisions. Each guy reportedly must decide by Wednesday whether to exercise a player option for next season. Uh, Kuzma's is for $13 million. Ain't no way that he's exercising that. Porzingis' player option is for $36 million. How possible are sign and trades with Kyle Kuzma and Chris Damps Porzingis? You got to be thinking uh, about that right now. Uh, And then Thursday night, we have the 2023 NBA draft. The Wizards in the 2023 draft have the numbers 8, 42, and 57 overall picks. But here is maybe the most important point of all. The Wizards' new front office has the authority to do as the front office sees fit. Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlank, in just a few weeks together running the team, are being allowed to do as these guys want to do. How am I so certain of that? Well, you never can be 100% certain of anything with the Wizards, but trading Bradley Beal goes against every word and action of Ted Leonsis these last few years. Ted has been frightened by the mere thought of doing something like trading Bradley Beal. Ted has been frightened by the mere thought of doing something like rebuilding. And so that the Wizards are trading Bradley Beal and pretty clearly now are embarking on a rebuild certainly suggests very strongly that Ted is staying out of the way and is letting Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlank do as they want. This is the way it should be because the way it has been is what got the Wizards into this mess to begin with. You know, Adrian Wojnarowski in his reporting noted that the Wizards have missed the playoffs in four of the last five seasons. That is true, but you and I both know that there's a lot more to the futility of the Wizards franchise than just missing the playoffs in four of the last five seasons. The Wizards have not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs 
since 1979. The Wizards have not had at least 50 wins in a regular season since the 1978-1979 season. Those two facts are pathetic, okay? They are pathetic. Those things need to change. And for those things to change, some drastic action needs to be taken. And it sure would seem that finally, mercifully, the necessary drastic action for the Wizards to truly get good again is being taken. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so are the commanders in the hunt for Kareem Hunt? Should the commanders be in the hunt for Kareem Hunt? Uh, Kareem Hunt, unrestricted free agent running back. NFL insider Josina Anderson of CBS Sports HQ this past Thursday night, June 15th, tweeted that the commanders had, quote, quietly been making some preliminary inquiries behind the scenes on free agent running back Kareem Hunt her league source, end quote. Now, Josina Anderson was one of the lead people in the national NFL media who earlier this offseason were over the top in advocating 
for the commanders to trade for Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Like, it became obnoxious how much some in the NFL media were lecturing and berating the commanders for not going after Lamar, never acknowledging the reasons not to go after Lamar. It was like these people were on Lamar's payroll. But Josina Anderson has covered the NFL for years, and she does have a good relationship with our head coach, Ron Rivera. So the connection for Kareem Hunt with the team obviously would be with uh, Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Bieniemy was the Kansas City Chiefs running backs coach for the 2013 through 2017 seasons and was the team's offensive coordinator for the 2018 through 2022 seasons. Kareem Hunt played for the Chiefs for the 2017 and 2018 seasons. The Chiefs took him in the third round of the 2017 NFL Draft out of Toledo. Uh, Kareem Hunt had a monster rookie season. He, in the 2017 regular season, played in all 16 of the Chiefs games finished number one in the NFL in rushing yards at 1,327, totaled 1,782 combined rushing and receiving yards, and scored 11 combined rushing and receiving touchdowns. Uh, Kareem Hunt's 2017 rookie season really is one of the best rookie seasons by a running back in recent NFL history. Uh, Hunt in the 2018 regular season played in just 11 of the Chiefs' 16 games, but he still totaled 824 rushing yards, 1,202 combined rushing and receiving yards, and 14 combined rushing and receiving touchdowns. But then came the controversy. Uh, The Chiefs in November 2018 released Kareem Hunt hours after TMZ's publishing of a video that showed him shoving and kicking a woman in a Cleveland hotel in February 2018. The NFL in March 2019 suspended Hunt for eight games without pay for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Uh, The Cleveland Browns in February 2019 signed Hunt as an unrestricted free agent. He played for them for four seasons, 2019 through 2022. His first three seasons with the Browns were good, but uh, things this past season did not go so well for Hunt. Uh, Hunt, over his first three regular seasons with the Browns, 2019 through 2021, totaled 1,406 rushing yards, 2,169 combined rushing and receiving yards, and 19 combined rushing and receiving touchdowns. Very good production for an RB2 with uh, Nick Chubb as the Browns' RB1 during this time. But Hunt did have a disappointing 2022 regular season. He averaged a career-worst 3.8 yards per carry and a career-worst 6 yards per reception. Uh, He finished number 28 out of 42 qualified NFL running backs in Football Outsiders' DVOA metric for rushing by running backs. And Hunt did what he did in the 2022 regular season, despite the Browns finishing number 12 in the NFL and run block win rate for ESPN. So playing behind a good offensive line, Hunt did not have a very good 2022 season. Uh, The 2023 season would be Kareem Hunt's age 28 season. We know that Eric Bieniemy has a lot of power with the commanders right now. Ron Rivera has been open about that. So the enemy being interested in bringing in Kareem Hunt isn't a shocker, uh, nor is there really anything wrong with that. Uh, Signing Hunt would not cost a lot. There's no guarantee that he'd even make the team's initial 53-man roster, but even having him on the practice squad might be worth it. I mean, do I look at Kareem Hunt as being obviously better than any of the commander's top three running backs right now, Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, 
or Chris Rodriguez Jr.? No, I don't. And so in that regard, running back isn't really a need for the commanders. But let's understand something. The commanders rushing offense last season was not good. The commanders for the 2022 regular season finished just 29th out of 32 NFL teams in rushing offense per DVOA. 29th out of 32 NFL teams. This is part of why all of this stuff from Rod Rivera and general manager Martin Mayhew about the formula has been so comical. It's not like the team had some uh, great ground game last season. Uh, Now, yes, a lot of that had to do with an offensive line that wasn't very good, but it's not like the backs killed it last season either. Uh, I mentioned that Kareem Hunt for the 2022 regular season finished number 28 out of 42 qualified NFL running backs in DVOA for rushing by running backs. Well, Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson finished number 39 and number 41, respectively. Yeah, two of the bottom four qualified running backs in the NFL in DVOA for rushing by running backs last regular season were Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson. Uh, DVOA stands for Defense Adjusted Value Over Average. It's a measure of per-play efficiency relative to league average and factors in quality of opposing defenses. DVOA is a lot better to look at for a running back than, say, yards per carry because DVOA treats a one-yard run on third and one much differently than a one-yard run on first and ten. Yards per carry treats those two runs exactly the same, even though those runs uh, quite clearly are not exactly the same. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson were two of the bottom four qualified running backs in the NFL in DVOA for rushing by running backs last regular season. Again, the bad offensive line was a big part of this. And with Robinson, him coming off having been you know, shot (laughs) multiple times in an incident in Washington, D.C. last August certainly did not help him. But you can like Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson. You can be hopeful about Chris Rodriguez Jr. while also acknowledging that the commander's rushing offense last season was not close to good enough. And so to me, adding another running back option in Kareem Hunt is at least worth considering. Well, the commander's rushing offense last season was not good enough, but here's something that is good enough. In fact, is better than good enough. Catering by Uptown. It is the DMV's number one catering service. It is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering, or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Check out the reviews, nearly 500 reviews, averaging 4.6 out of 5 stars. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you.
Well, it is fitting, very fitting, that this past weekend was Father's Day weekend because the Nats over the weekend played the Miami Marlins and the Marlins are the Nats daddies. Uh, It is ridiculous what is going on between the Nats and the Marlins these days. The Nats over the weekend got swept in three games against the Marlins at Nationals Park. Friday night, a 6-5 loss as the Marlins improved to an absurd 18-5 in one-run games in this regular season. Saturday, a 5-2 loss and Sunday afternoon, a 4-2 loss. The Nats are reeling. Uh, they now have lost 14 of their last 18 games. The Nats now are 27-43, and 43, worst record in the National League. And the Nats now are an incomprehensible 4-21 and 21 against the Marlins in regular season games since the start of the 2022 season. Yes, 4-21. and 21. Like I said, the Marlins, they are the Nats' daddies. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Yes, thank you, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, it is maddening how the Nats just cannot beat the Marlins. 4-15 and 15 against them last regular season, now 0-6 against them this regular season. Uh, disappointing last two games for the Nats offense. The Nats in the 6-5 loss on Friday night actually hit pretty well, including getting to the Marlins starting pitcher in that game, Sandy Alcantara. Uh, Alcantara last season dominated the Nats. Sandy Alcantara in the 2022 regular season against the Nats, five starts, an ERA of 0.9, a whip of 0.775, an opponent's OPS of just 459. But the Nats on Friday night did well against Alcantara, who is not having anywhere near as good of a 2023 season as he had a 2022 season. Alcantara on Friday night, five runs in five and a third innings on a whopping 10 hits. Uh, But the Nats scored just two runs in each of the final two games of the series. You know, the Nats during this stretch of 14 losses in 18 games have scored three runs or less in 10 of the games. Uh, Not good. Uh, C.J. Abrams did not play on Sunday afternoon. He, in each of the first two games of this series, was an at starting shortstop and number nine batter. He, in the 6-5 loss on Friday night, went one for four with an RBI double and two strikeouts. But Abrams, in the 5-2 loss on Saturday, 0 for three with two strikeouts, including one of the worst plate appearances that any Nats player has had this season. Abrams, in the bottom of the third, struck out looking on three pitches. He took a cold strike one. He swung and missed for strike two on a pitch that was outside of the strike zone. And then he took a cold strike three right down the middle of the plate. Uh, C.J. Abrams looks lost at the plate right now. He, for this month of June, has a batting average of just 122 and on base percentage of just 122, as he has not drawn a single walk in this month of June. And Abrams, for this month of June, has a slugging percentage of just 195. He is having a nightmare of a month of June. Abrams, for this regular season, has an OPS of just 624. He is a big-time key piece of the Nats' rebuild. The Nats need to keep playing C.J. Abrams, okay? I am not in any way suggesting that the Nats need to bench C.J. Abrams or send him down to AAA Rochester. You got to keep playing him and hope that he gets better, but he is not in a good way right now. In fact, Abrams entered Sunday with a negative wins above replacement, a negative war per baseball reference for this regular season, minus 0.1 
So Abrams for this regular season, a below replacement level player. Think about that. Uh, Victor Robles is back. Uh, The Nats on Friday returned from rehab and reinstated center fielder Victor Robles from the 10-day injured list, which he had been on since May 8th, retroactive to May 7th with back spasms. Uh, We had been wondering who might be the odd man out once Robles was back. Well, now we know. Alex Call. Uh, He got the call, uh, but not in a good way. Uh, Alex Call got optioned to AAA Rochester. Look, Alex Call just was not hitting. He threw games on Thursday, had an OPS plus of just 67 over 251 plate appearances in this regular season. OPS plus is OPS that's adjusted for a player's league and home ballpark. 100 is average. Above 100 is good. Below 100 is bad. And OPS plus of 67 is really bad. Uh, However, Cole had done a good job defensively. 0.5 defensive wins above replacement, defensive war per baseball reference for this regular season. So I do want to give Cole credit for the defense, but the offense certainly was lacking. But back to Victor Robles. Uh, He was an at starting center fielder in all three games in this series against the Marlins. He was a number eight batter in games one and two, the number nine batter in game three, during which he made a major blunder on the base paths. Uh, This has been a problem for Victor Robles. Blunders on the base paths. Uh, Robles in the 4-2 loss on Sunday afternoon, one for two with a single and a walk, but he also got picked off at first base. He, in the bottom of the fifth, drew a two-out walk, but then got picked off at first base for the third out with the Nats' best hitter this season, Lane Thomas batting. Not good. Uh, Now, speaking of Lane Thomas, uh, there were three offensive bright spots for the Nats in their three-game sweep to the Marlins over the weekend. Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis, and Jamer Candelario. Uh, Lane Thomas was an at-starting right fielder and number one batter at all three games in the series. He, over the three games, went four for 13 with two home runs, an RBI double, and another double. Uh, Lane Thomas is doing a really good job this season. Lane Thomas, for this regular season, number one among all qualified Nats players in OPS at 822. He has an on-base percentage at 337. He has a slugging percentage of 485. He's flirting with a 500 slugging percentage. Really good stuff from Lane Thomas. Uh, Joey Manessis, he was an at starting DH in all three games in the series. He was a number four batter in games one and two, the number three batter in game three. Manessis, over the three games, four for 11 with a double, two RBI singles, another single and an RBI sack fly. Uh, Manessis still is not hitting for anywhere near enough power. His slugging percentage for this regular season is just 389, but his on-base percentage for this regular season, 340, and his batting average for this regular season, 300. Uh, So Manessis actually could finish with a slash line with each stat being in the 300s, a batting average in the 300s, an on-base percentage in the 300s, and a slugging percentage in the 300s. Not often that you see that. Uh, And Jamer Candelario, he was an ad starting third baseman and number three batter in each of the first two games of the series. Candelario for game three, a late scratch due to a right thumb bone bruise, but he over the first two games of the series had four doubles. Uh, Candelario in the 6-5 loss on Friday night, three for five with three doubles. Candelario in the 5-2 loss on Saturday, two for four with a double and an infield single. Uh, The Nats got bad starting pitching in two of the three games in the series. Patrick Corbin in the 4-2 loss on Sunday afternoon, not good, although he at least ate up some innings. Uh, He allowed four runs in six innings, 
but he gave up 11 hits, 11 hits allowed over six innings, although all 11 of the hits were singles. Uh, he issued two walks and a wild pitch. He recorded just three strikeouts. Uh, he threw 102 pitches, 63 strikes versus 39 balls. Patrick Corbin in these decline years, and the decline for Corbin started with the 2020 season, but he in these decline years has like lost his ability to strike out guys with any kind of regularity. And so he gives up a lot of contact. And when you do that, uh, you will fall prey to the variance of the batted ball. And you had that happen on Sunday afternoon. Again, 11 singles given up over six innings. Corbin allowed a run in the top of the second, a run in the top of the third, and two runs in the top of the fourth. He in this outing did not have a single clean inning. Uh, the other bad start for the Nats in this series came from Trevor Williams. Uh, he in the 6-5 loss on Friday night allowed five runs in four and a third innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. He issued three walks. He recorded just two strikeouts, and he over his four and a third innings threw 86 pitches, uh, 52 strikes versus 34 balls. What's funny is that the Nats' best start in this series came from a guy who had been pitching the worst of anyone in the Nats' rotation, Jake Urban. Uh, his previous turn in the rotation, in fact, had been skipped, but Irvin in the 5-2 loss on Saturday and pitching in a game for the first time since June 6th ended up being good. Uh, had some problems over the first two innings, but he ultimately allowed one run in five innings. He gave up just four hits, a double, and three singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 88 pitches, 55 strikes versus 33 balls. Uh, this was another eventful series for the Nats bullpen. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez over the first two games of the series used Jordan Weems and Chad Cool in each game. Uh, not exactly how you draw things up, especially when you look back at this series and realize that neither of the Nats top two relievers, Hunter Harvey and Kyle Finnegan, pitched at all in this series. Uh, now, Jordan Weems was good. He, in the 6-5 loss on Friday night, tossed one and two-thirds perfect innings with two strikeouts. He came into the game in the top of the fifth with a runner on first, one out, and the game tied at five, and he promptly retired two consecutive Marlins batters for the final two outs. And then Weems, in the 5-2 loss on Saturday, tossed a perfect top of the sixth with three ground outs. But things did not go so well for Chad Cool in his uh, second appearance in the series. Now, he in the 6-5 loss on Friday night tossed a scoreless top of the ninth. Okay, but he then in the 5-2 loss on Saturday in the top of the seventh allowed two runs on a single, a bases loaded walk, another walk, an intentional walk, and a run scoring wild pitch. Cool in this inning through 27 pitches, a mere 13 strikes versus 14 balls. He threw more balls than strikes. That's not how that's supposed to go. Uh, this was the first time in this regular season that Chad Cool pitched on back-to-back -back days. Now, Davey Martinez, during his post-game press conference on Saturday evening, said that relievers Mason Thompson and Carl Edwards Jr. were unavailable, and that relievers Hunter Harvey and Kyle Finnegan were available only if the Nats were tied or ahead in the eighth and or ninth. So Davey set up these parameters, and what ended up happening in this game was that neither Harvey nor Finnegan pitched. Chad Cool pitched for a second consecutive day, did not pitch well. Jordan Weems pitched for a second consecutive day, did pitch well, uh, but you ended up having neither Harvey nor Finnegan pitch in this series. Uh, also with the bullpen in the 6-5 loss on Friday night was Carl Edwards Jr. giving up a crucial run. He in the top of the eighth allowed a run on a one-out walk of Yuli Gurriel, a one-out single 
by Joey Wendell to center field and a two-out tie-breaking RBI infield single by Garrett Cooper up the middle for a 6-5 Marlins lead. The RBI infield single by Cooper came on a grounder that was not fielded cleanly by shortstop C.J. Abrams as he ranged to his left. And then his throw home went off the mound, uh, came in on multiple hops, and ultimately uh, was not even caught by catcher Kbert Ruiz. Wendell ended up scoring from second base on what was this infield single. So what loomed large was what happened with the Nats defense on this uh, infield single, this two-out tie-breaking RBI infield single by Garrett Cooper in the top of the eighth. And this was another example of the Nats defense faltering lately. For all of the talk about the Nats defense this season being improved, the Nats entered Sunday tied for 28th out of 30 major league teams in defensive runs saved for the 2023 regular season at minus 24. Now, defensive runs saved, like every defensive metric, is flawed. I'll grant you that. But defensive runs saved is a lot better than, say, errors or fielding percentage or the eye test, you know, like just saying, hey, I watch the games. I know whether the defense is good or not. Well, <laughs> your eyes can deceive you, especially when it comes to defense in baseball. The narrative that the Nats this season are much improved defensively has taken some big-time hits here in recent weeks. The defense has fallen off, and uh, the numbers are not so good for a number of individual players and overall for the team. Again, uh, entering Sunday tied for 28th out of 30 major league teams in defensive runs saved for this regular season at minus 24. A bright spot for the Nats bullpen over the weekend was Corey Abbott in the 4-2 loss on Sunday afternoon. Three scoreless innings with two strikeouts versus one hit, which was a single and no walks. Uh, Abbott threw 41 pitches, 28 strikes versus just 13 balls. This was Corey Abbott's first appearance since the Nats on June 7th recalled him from AAA Rochester as the corresponding roster moved to designating reliever Erasmo Ramirez for assignment. Uh, also, regarding the Nats over the weekend, another standout performance by the man who the Nats may well take with the number two overall pick in the 2023 MLB draft, LSU ace Paul Skeens. LSU flamethrower Paul Skeens. Uh, Skeens in LSU's 6-3 win over Tennessee in the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska on Saturday night. Two runs in seven and two-thirds innings with 12 strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just five hits. He threw 123 pitches, 46 of which, according to ESPN, were at 100 miles per hour or more. Now, uh, the measurements of pitch velocities in college baseball uh, can be questioned, all right? I don't know how accurate these velocities are, but... 46 pitches of 100 miles per hour or more are 46 pitches, okay? Even if that's maybe a little bit off, what was it say? Maybe 40, maybe 38, I don't know. That's still ridiculous that he's throwing with that kind of velocity, uh, with that kind of frequency. Paul Skeens is a freak, man. I've been talking about this guy. He is being talked about as being the best pitching prospect entering an MLB draft since it adds Steven Strasburg in the 2009 draft. The 2023 MLB draft will begin on Sunday night, July 9th. The Nats have the number two overall pick. Look, it's possible 
that Skeens will go to the Pittsburgh Pirates, who have the number one overall pick. But there are multiple other highly touted players in this draft. LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz, Florida outfielder Wyatt Langford. Uh, the hype for Paul Skeens really is to the moon. He This past Thursday was named as the winner of the 2023 Dick Hauser Trophy. The Dick Hauser Trophy is given annually to the most outstanding player in NCAA Division I baseball. Uh, Skeens is listed by LSU as being 6'6 and 247 pounds. A whole lot to like with this guy. Yes, he is a pitcher, and uh, by definition, there is an injury concern, especially with someone who throws as hard as Skeens throws, uh, but this guy is built to be a dominant ace uh, at the major league level. Uh, a ways to go until he is actually at that point, but uh, this guy has all of the tools that you look for in a major league starting pitcher. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals at Nationals Park in a battle of two of the three worst teams in the National League. Uh, game one, Monday afternoon at 4.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.05, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 4.05, Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Nationals had a frustrating weekend. The Orioles had a frustrating weekend, too, but their weekend at least did end with a win. Uh, the O's lost two or three games at the Chicago Cubs. The uh, friendly confines of Wrigley Field were uh, not so friendly to the O's. Friday afternoon, a 10-3 loss. Saturday afternoon, a 3-2 loss. But Sunday afternoon, a 6-3 win. As the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That is correct, Joe. The win column. Uh, the O's now are 44 and 27, tied with the American League West leading Texas Rangers for the second best record in the American League. The O's are five games behind the American League East leading and Major League leading Tampa Bay Rays. And guess who is next for the O's? Yeah, the Rays. Uh, a big two game series at the Rays on Tuesday. And Wednesday, uh, the Orioles' offense over the weekend at the Cubs did not do much in games one and two, but did well in game three. The O's over the first two games of the series totaled just five runs, just 16 hits, and just four walks, and went a combined two for 14 with runners in scoring position. But the O's in their 6-3 win on Sunday afternoon totaled six runs, 14 hits, and two walks, and went three for 10 with runners in scoring position. A big series for the Orioles' best hitter this season, Austin Hayes. Uh, he was the Orioles' starting left fielder in all three games in the series. He, over the three games, went a combined 7 for 12 with a double, two RBI singles, four other singles, and a walk. Uh, Hayes in the 6-3 win on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles' number one batter, 3 for 4 with a double and two singles. He in the 3-2 loss on Saturday afternoon as the Orioles' number one batter, 2 for 4 with two singles and a walk. And he in the 10-3 loss on Friday afternoon as the Orioles' number five batter, 2 for 4 with two RBI singles. Austin Hayes is number one among all qualified Orioles in OPS for this regular season at 875. Also, another good series for this guy, Ryan O'Hearn. Uh, he started two games, played in all three games. He, over the three games in the series, went a combined six for 10 with a double 
and five singles. Uh, O'Hearn in the 6-3 win on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting right fielder and number four batter went two for four with two singles, although he did commit a crucial fielding error. More on that in a bit, but O'Hearn in the 10-3 loss on Friday afternoon as the Orioles starting first baseman and number four batter, three for four with a double and two singles, and O'Hearn in the 3-2 loss on Saturday afternoon came off the bench and went one for two with a two-out pinch single in the top of the six, uh, Ryan O'Hearn now in this regular season, 90 plate appearances and OPS of 1,003. <laughs> Not bad for a guy whose contract the O's purchased from the Kansas City Royals this past January. Uh, some other offensive heroes for the O's in the 6-3 win on Sunday afternoon. Anthony Santander, he is the Orioles starting DH and number three batter, two for five with a solo homer and a single. Adley Rutschman as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, one for five with an RBI double. Rutschman in the 3-2 loss on Saturday afternoon as the Orioles starting DH and number two batter, one for four with a two-run homer and a walk. Uh, he and an Orioles two-run fifth smashed a two-out, two-run homer to left center field on a 1-2 pitch to tie the game at two. The homer winner projected 406 feet per stat cast. Uh, also on Sunday, the O's on Sunday morning placed their number two catcher, James McCann, on the 10-day injured list with a left ankle sprain. Uh, the Orioles starting pitching at the Cubs was solid over the final two games, but bad in game one. Uh, Dean Kramer in the 6-3 win on Sunday afternoon was at least solid for an eighth time in nine starts. Uh, he allowed three runs, but just one earned in five innings with seven strikeouts. Uh, he gave up just three hits, although two of the hits were home runs, and he gave up a single. Uh, he issued two walks. He threw 92 pitches, 58 strikes versus 34 balls. Kramer in the bottom of the fourth got charged with two unearned runs. Uh, this is where we had the defensive miscue by Ryan O'Hearn. So right fielder Ryan O'Hearn committed a two-out fielding error as he whiffed uh, in his attempt at a running catch in the right center field gap of a liner off the bat of Cody Bellinger, who wound up on third base via a three-base error. So a crucial error by O'Hearn, and then Kramer gave up a two-out, two-run homer by Christopher Morell to left center field for a 3-2 Cubs lead. The homer went a projected 417 feet per stat cast. Uh, but still, I liked a lot of what we saw from Dean Kramer on Sunday afternoon. Uh, also, Kyle Gibson in the 3-2 loss on Saturday afternoon. Three runs in six innings with seven strikeouts. So he gave up just three hits, two doubles and a single. He issued two walks and a wild pitch. He threw 93 pitches, 56 strikes versus 37 balls. Uh, the bad starting pitching outing for the O's in this series came from Cole Irvin in that 10-3 loss on Friday afternoon. Irvin allowed three runs in four innings. He gave up five hits, three solo homers, a double, and a single. He did have four strikeouts versus one walk, and he did throw a good number of strikes as he over 68 pitches through 44 strikes versus 24 balls. Uh, the Orioles' bullpen over the weekend at the Cubs, bad in game one, but good in games two and three, the O's in the 10-3 loss on Friday afternoon used four relievers. The first three of those relievers, Mike Bauman, Cedell Perez, and Reed Garrett, combined to allow seven runs in three innings on seven hits, four walks, and a balk. Uh, that was bad. Keegan Aiken did then toss a perfect bottom of the eighth. But the 3-2 loss on Saturday afternoon, two Orioles relievers combined for two scoreless innings. Brian Baker, a perfect bottom of the seventh with two strikeouts. Danny Coulomb tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth. 
And then in the 6-3 win on Sunday afternoon, the bullpen was excellent. Four Orioles relievers, Danny Coulomb, Mike Bauman, Yanir Cano, and Felix Batista combined for four scoreless, hitless, and walkless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Additionally, the O's on Sunday morning did designate former Nationals reliever Reed Garrett for assignment. So no game for the O's on Monday. Next up for them, the big two-game series at the Rays. Game one, Tuesday evening at 6.40, Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher in Game 2 Wednesday afternoon at 12.10. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 598. We're getting closer to 600. Uh, we'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also talk Nationals on Monday afternoon at 4.05 of game one of a three-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals at Nationals Park. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I'm a little bit more process-oriented.